What does it mean to create a world? Where do we even begin? And what draws us towards the creation in the first place? Jay's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice I need a role-play rescue, oh yeah I need a role-play rescue, oh yeah, oh yeah Greetings Rescuers, I'm Che Webster and this is the final episode of the current series of Roleplay Rescue. It was Friday, April the 1st, 2016, when my regular D&D group got together and, on a whim, decided to play Redbox D&D. The week before, I'd been doodling around with that set and enjoying myself enough to ask the guys to play the first adventure with me. Little did I know that I was taking the first steps into a larger world, the classic fantasy realm of Mr. Mir. Today I am treading softly and steadily towards that realm I first discovered back in 2016. It's the realm that led to the publication of my own first adventure module in May 2017, and which has brought me a great deal of creative joy ever since. For me, it's time to rediscover the path back to gaming. This is Season 8, Episode 15 Return to Mistamir, the lure of Mithras classic fantasy. Mistamir is the classic fantasy realm that I created for myself way back in 2016. It began with a delve into the classic Dungeons & Dragons red box adventure that is cunningly named First Adventure. Shortly after, I shifted game system to Mithras classic fantasy and things spiralled upward from there. Things truly began to take form as a larger entity following the invitation of Rodney Leary to add it to the official Greymere setting for Mithras Classic Fantasy. How could I say no? Eventually, however, my energy for the realm petered out, not least because, when I look back on it, I was setting up huge expectations for myself as Game Master. The biggest of those was expressed more recently in Episode 2 of this season, in one of my 13 GM rules. Rule 3. The GM needs to know everything about the game system and the game world before play begins. In recent months, I have taken two steps which ended up with me arriving back in Mistamir. Firstly, I began to design the maps for and run games in my long-talked-about Mega Dungeon, the Fire Citadel of the Dragon Kings. I then moved the Mega Dungeon game back to its home realm of Mistamir, digging out the old Fire Island map and then asking players if they would mind me shifting the setting. The practical upshot was that, a few weeks ago now, I played my first game in Mistamir in more than two years. It was a hoot to dig up my old maps and notes, presenting some of that old material in-game for my GURPS Dungeon Fantasy group. That said, I've been struggling to resolve a few tensions in my head regarding role-playing in my realm of Mistamir. I've been playing GURPS Dungeon Fantasy, a treatment of the core GURPS rules that provides a D&D-like experience, 
What I already feel after a handful of sessions is that it's too high-powered for my tastes. I want a grittier experience, more akin to early D&D than the current trends post-third edition. Surely I could just dial down the power level in my GURPS game and play the grittier version of Dungeon Fantasy. Yes, I could. But I feel like that has two barriers for me. I know that I will need to invest time and effort into calibrating the system to my tastes, and I will constantly be plagued with doubt about whether or not I got it right. You see, the benefit of a prescription is that it reduces my anxiety. If I know that someone with more experience than me has recommended an approach, then I feel safer implementing that at my gaming table. As SJ Games haven't provided an official gritty-edged version of Dungeon Fantasy, I am left to dig around the community and, frankly, that's a piecemeal affair. What I appreciate as a gamer, and especially as an anxious gamer, is a manual of rules bursting with monsters, treasures, tricks and traps. In short, stuff that I can use at the table quickly and easily. I guess the biggest thing I miss whenever I play a classic fantasy game is that old winning combination. A player's book with clear guidelines for creating characters, and a dungeon master's book with advice on building adventures, a portfolio of monsters, and lots of treasure. In case you are unclear, I miss that old red box feel. I could do the obvious and go play that older version of D&D. Beck me or even BX, best expressed nowadays as old school essentials, would probably do the trick. This would offer a gritty and simple game with loads of classic stuff ready to go. It also means I have to suck up the particularly gamey experience wherein the system throws out verisimilitude in the name of abstraction and ease, and that really doesn't suit my taste. I've been drawn towards Pathfinder too recently, by which I mean the current second edition of the game. This is also a pretty high fantasy game, but much more rooted in the tried and tested third edition D20 system that I came to know and trust back in the early 2000s. Honestly, the high fantasy elements and feel are fine because this is classic fantasy. What it probably lacks, however, is the gritty vulnerability that I seek in my game. As you know, I've been giving it a shot nonetheless, just to see how it feels in play. I thought about playing with the cipher system, but I also feel that this aligns play too closely with high-powered exploits wherein characters are not particularly challenged with the fear of failure. I want the edgy risk of death that I enjoyed back at the root of my hobby. And so, playing RuneQuest Garantha offered me the clue. There is an alternative which uses the D100 engine and the rules I know and trust, but which also offers a lower-powered fantasy that I'm seeking. That is, of course, Mithras. Given that I want to play in a classic fantasy realm, well, here we are, back with Mithras Classic Fantasy. Mithras Classic Fantasy certainly seems to be the closest I'd ever come to finding the ideal fantasy role-playing experience for me. What saddens me is that, through my long history of flitting from system to system in the quest for just that sweet spot game, I've managed to drive all my players crazy. In short, we never play anything long enough to really get our teeth into higher level play. Several players have, over the last 20 years or so, deserted me as Game Master for just that reason. These days, hearing me talk about Mithras Classic Fantasy for at least the second time, it must sound quite hollow to them. Or perhaps it's just my social anxiety speaking. I don't know. 
I'm a child of Arneson and Gygax, Steve Perrin and David Hargrave. Those are the fathers of my gaming hobby. Arneson and Gygax, the creators of it all. Perrin, the master of D100 gaming. And Hargrave, the mad inspiration of my more recent fantasy worlds. To me, the levels and classes of Dungeons and Dragons sit at the foundation of a style of fantasy roleplaying that has proven timeless. If the modern old-school renaissance is anything to go by, the hex crawl, the dungeon focus of the original role-playing game, all of that has never really gone away. Although I have been seduced by storytelling games and other styles of play, at heart I've discovered that Gygax's style suits me best. That said, I find Dungeons & Dragons to be more of a game than is sometimes comfortable. That's why Perrin's RuneQuest was always superior, at least in my mind. I still love the elegant D100 mechanic and the way in which your characteristics influenced your ability. In that game, anyone could, in theory, learn any skill and even many spells. It was a less restricted vision of fantasy gaming that, right from the beginning, inspired dreams and the desire to play games. When I discovered RuneQuest 6th edition in early 2013, it was like coming home. Coming home to RuneQuest 6 coincided with the discovery of David Hargrave's Arduin in March 2013. As I wrote at the time, I'd never really heard of him, but came across his work from another blog post and bought Arduin Eternal. Eventually, having enjoyed that work, I ordered copies of his original works, the Arduin Trilogy. That discovery opened my mind and my heart to the possibilities inherent in all fantasy gaming. His brand of, for want of a better word, gonzo, all-in, fantastic dreaming, inspired me to revisit the idea of my own fantasy world. Hargrave taught me to not be afraid, to challenge the assumptions of the classic original game, but also to grasp onto that which I loved most from my early hobby. In short, I began to heed his advice and took a troll to lunch. When I first read about the forthcoming classic fantasy supplement for RuneQuest 6, it was on the back of the news that Chaosium and the design mechanism were parting ways. Until that moment, I began to believe that RuneQuest 6 would fall away, and so I bought up pretty much the whole back catalogue. I had been trying to write my own RPG design, desperately seeking to marry what I loved in D100 gaming to the Gygax Hargrave vision of class and level based gaming. Classic fantasy, as a concept, made my heart stand still with anticipation. Here was a supplement billed as Dungeoneering Adventures D100 style. Looking at the free preview pages, it looked like just what I was hoping to find. When it arrived in April 2016, I discovered that Rodney Leary did not disappoint. Here is a game in which you can play any of the Gygaxian character classes from Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition through to the approximate equivalent of 14th level. You can play that fighter, thief, magic user or whatever, but you also do it using the elegant D100 game system of classic RuneQuest Vintage. Mithras is a very clean and more experienced inheritor of all that is great about classic RuneQuest, married to much improved combat and magic systems. In and of itself, the game is a very good one. What classic fantasy does is help aficionados of Gygaxian tropes to use Mithras to emulate that older tradition. When you consider that Hargrave also ended up with a D100 based system for his own Arduin Bloody Arduin, there is a great resonance for fans of the 1970s and 1980s role playing experience. As I sit here thinking about developing my fantasy campaign in Mistimir once again, it's obvious to me 
that my inspiration lies in those earlier experiences. And so, the lure of the D-100 of Mithras' classic fantasy is complete. At the top of the episode, I asked three questions. What does it mean to create a world? Where do we even begin? And what draws us towards the creation in the first place? Let's start with that last question. Maybe you're not at all like me. Perhaps you were never enamoured by the call to adventure I experienced in my early gaming with RuneQuest 2, Beck Me D&D, and the move onward towards Palladium and Rollmaster. That's natural. We are all on our own quests within the hobby. Being a child of Arneson, Gygax and Hargrave means that I am very much predisposed to organise my game around a sandbox mode of play. That means creating a nice chunk of fantasy territory within which the players are given agency to decide their own goals for play. In recent months, I've begun to add a second layer to my gaming, the desire to tell a good story, to provide hooks into potential situations that might intrigue players and pull them in particular directions within that sandbox. But ultimately, what pulls me into the classic fantasy mould is the freedom to discover, to explore. Returning to the other questions, what does it mean to create a world and where do we even begin, I'd like to propose that you not create a fantasy sandbox world from the top down, or at least not primarily. As I explained back in Season 3 Episode 10 on Building a Sandbox, I think one of the best outlines for how to create a sandbox-style campaign comes from the chapter in the Mensa Expert Dungeons & Dragons rulebook from 1983. This is the approach usually referred to as a bottom-up approach. That said, I went on to recommend a design method that lies between the two traditional schools. In the book Arbiter of Worlds, the author calls it top-down, zoom-in. Quote, The top-down, zoom-in approach means starting with a light top-down framework, but creating increasing detail as you get closer to the areas of the setting that the players are most likely to interact with. End quote. To modify the process of creating a sandbox outlined by Mensa, we just add an additional step before the list found in Expert D&D. Start by writing a paragraph that outlines the high concept and establishes the setting your sandbox will be created within, giving a sense of the overall scope of the challenges in this new fantasy world. From there, using the guidelines from Mensa, we can build ourselves a lovely little realm and populate it with interesting tales. I'll leave you to go and listen again to Season 3, Episode 10 if you want the details. Anyway, that's where I'm at today. I found a group of players. I think we found a mutually agreeable time to play together too. Always a bit of a challenge in this culture of too much work and not enough play. But the key point is that I'm going back to rebuild my sandbox. I'm going to use the inspiration of Mensa's toolbox and revisit Mistamir. And I'm going to do it through the lens of running a game with my favourite fantasy role-playing prescription, Mithras Classic Fantasy. Wish me luck, eh? Game on. And now it's time for some call-ins. Hey, Jay, Jason here. Catching up on podcasts. Listen to your interview with Peter Laws, your second one. Excellent interview. Really interesting points brought up. The Dunning-Kruger effect I've been familiar with for a few years now in different training circles it's well discussed the tribalism thing 
Yeah, I, I think he really nails it on the head in describing the way our culture is currently. I, I really do. I, unfortunately, we see it in all different facets of culture, too. It's not just gaming culture, just politics. It's kind of across the board. And I think social media plays a part in this. And while social media can be used for good, it can also help with the tribalism because people get into echo chambers and only listen to opinions that match their own. As far as not judging other people, I think that is a huge thing, and that's definitely something you see a lot of the, the saints talk about. And, you know, your church writings, you see it a lot. And, you know, one thing I try to do, and definitely I'm not, I would never characterize myself as a, a good person or a good example, but one thing I try to do is if I notice, like if I get cut off on the road or somebody angers me because they're driving or I notice I'm getting angry, I'll take a step back and say, well, you know what? I didn't use my turn signal the other day or I did this or that. And, and try to, you know, you know, back off from that judgment. And, yeah, I think judging people, especially off-the-cuff judgments, are some of the worst things we can do. I guess the last thing I want to mention, talking about by taking the, you know, the Holy Word in context and the Bible in context. So you definitely need to research the context that the books were written in. You know, you cannot just address it. Well, there are different ways you can read the Bible. You can read it just to see what hits you out of it. That's valid. But if you really want to research it and, and know kind of what they're saying, you have to know the context it was written in. There's a lot of political subtext and a lot of hidden meanings in there, right? And as far as the spiritual meanings of what's going on there, we have the writings of the church fathers. They're recorded. There's, you know, multiple sources you can go read these essays written by the church fathers and get, you, you know, their interpretations from back then of what these, you know, the books meant. Anyhow, I just wanted to say it was a very thought-provoking episode. You know, even, you know, honestly, I love hearing you talk to him, whether you're talking about role-playing games or not. I, I just think it was a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed it. Lots of interesting topics. And I look forward to your next episode. Take care, Trey. Hi there, Trey. Emil here again. I wanted to call in about your discussion with Peter Laws because I have to say I really found it enlightening and, and moving on a level that I didn't expect from listening to an RPG podcast. Even though I'm non-religious, I was particularly struck by the thought of tribalism and exclusion being, in fact, the original sin of mankind. And even though I do try to take everyone's background into consideration before labeling anyone as evil, it's good to have a reminder every now and then and new perspectives on that because it's so easy to fall into the trap of, of labeling people different from us or people who commit crimes and so on as uh, something different or something less. And I wanted to call in... Uh, to say thank you to both you and Peter Laws, because you taught me something with that podcast. And uh, I believe that every one of your episodes helps people in minor or major ways. And what you're doing really makes a difference. So uh, keep making podcast episodes. 
keep getting them out there and game on oh it's so funny i'm just listening to your talk with peter laws and when you talk about the the shock <laughs> of people finding out that their neighbor is a serial killer it was uh i just had a real chuckle because uh in my lifetime i've known several people who have either um killed their spouse rolled them up in a carpet and dumped them in a ravine as well as uh a friend of mine uh shot and killed his father and then uh chopped his body up and put him in the trunk of his car so um kind of funny and i would say that i was not surprised yeah i think uh that particular person was in in our friends group uh was voted most likely to be a serial killer although um uh, we would often joke uh about being alone with him in any uh non-disclosed location. So, yeah, that was a, a good chuckle for me. Hi, Jay. Andy, just swallowing a bit of apple. Andy Goodman from Grizzly Peaks Radio, which is now my premiere podcast, as opposed to my, you know, knocked off, uh, off the back of the cuff podcast expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. What a fantastic run of episodes you've put out recently. Um, I've just been listening to the Peter Laws interview, which is excellent. What a interesting and smart guy. But um, the other two um, that, that you've also put out recently about dealing with negativity and, 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 and also the elusive shift, which, which um, just coincidentally, I've been reading as well recently, and yeah, it's dense. But but yeah, I you know what a what a good book. Um, he is quite he's quite a scholar, isn't he? Um, I'm not sure it's as good as as as, as playing at the world, which is just the ur text, I think. But it's really opened up a whole new understanding of 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 our hobby for me. So great book, um, heartily recommend everyone gets it and reads it. Um, but yeah, your your interview, Peter Law, is fascinating. He he really has an interesting angle, and I'm so glad to hear you mention Hans Rosling. Wow, I wasn't expecting to hear that. You often mention things that just go, oh wow, you're into that too, which makes me happy. Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad to hear that positivity returning to you as well. In in um, was it Wolf Head? I don't know, can't remember. Your old pal, um, who left that really amazing message for you. Um, I could only dream of getting a message like that from an old player who I'd lost touch with. I think most of them would just send me a bag of dog poo in in an envelope. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Um, I, I don't fall out. I don't fall out with players. They fall out with me. Does that even make it any better? I don't know. But look, anyway, great run, as I said. And uh, Rob Menyon, he, he, he asked a question to you on one of my, my last episodes. So if you do listen to it, he would like your answer. But I would also like it. So um, 
let me, you know, if you ever have time, have a listen and, and drop a message. All right, man. Take care. Hey, Trey, Jason here. Just listen to negativity episode. I think I think hostile negativity needs to go away. I don't think there's really a place for that in our hobby, but I think there is room for disagreements on systems and disagreements on things. So, because if you take away that, you, you know, voicing what you don't like about things and, and disagreeing on things in a constructive way, then what do we have to talk about if it's just a echo chamber agreeing on everything? I don't know. But I agree with you that the hostile negativity and the cancel culture and all that, you know, all that's counterproductive. There's no question about that. So, anyhow, interesting episode. Talk to you soon. Okay. Now, I'm back in my garage. And on the topic of incompetence and... I liked what Hobbes had to say with regards to just do it, but I might add one word, just do it again. Whenever I feel uh, incompetent about starting something new or even starting something that isn't new, just starting something. It's very helpful once I break free of the initial inertia of sitting still, the inertia of the fear of the unknown that uh, it, it's, it is so much like gravity in that it's, it's there, but the cause is elusive. You know, why does it exist? I don't know. But what it does give me, it doesn't give me anything except fear. But once I've broken free of that initial tug to stay put, the fear of the unknown, the, um, what is it? The people have turned the anachronism fear into false evidence appearing real. Uh, but once, once I've gotten past that, even just a little bit, the thing that just makes me do it again, and the, it being the, the product, the, the project or the, the writing, the art, the, whatever that is, the thing that keeps me going is the positive feedback that I get from the first thing that I completed. So what I found is that if I do smaller projects and get feedback, those smaller projects will help to propel me through the larger projects. Of course, then there's the danger of just working on smaller projects and never getting through the larger one. <laughs> oh. Jay, Zeevil Jeff. 
So uh, I caught up with all of your podcasts and your latest one, The Elusive Shift. Uh, and I just wanted to let you know that I'm pausing at that one since I am starting to read the book myself. Kind of figured I'd like to read the whole thing and then hear your thoughts on it. And also bring my thoughts to you later on about it. So I look forward to seeing how we compare things and what we get out of this book itself. Later. Hey, Trey, Jason here. Just listened to episode 813, Roleplay Rescue. Great episode. Lots of great callers. Great feedback there. Look forward to that conversation with Laren. If you can get her on there, I've been lucky enough to have her on my podcast. And yeah, she's a great guest. I, I know I haven't been calling you very much lately. It's not because I'm not listening. And it's not because I, I don't have ideas. I've just been busy. And, and, and also, I'm trying not to trying to curate my calls better. So I'm not calling in with, you know, things that are just going to murky the waters, if, if that makes sense. But please don't take a lack of calls as a lack of listening or lack of support. I really appreciate your show. I look forward to it whenever it gets published. And even though, like right now, I'm behind and listening to podcasts, I, they, they are right there on my playlist, and I'm looking forward to hearing them. So take care of yourself, and I look forward to talking to you soon. And that's it for Season 8. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is the last episode of Roleplay Rescue. At least for now. As I approach my 50th birthday and enter the Easter holiday from school, it's time to refocus my attention on family, friends and the creative aspects of my personality. I'm preparing for the new game in Mistermere and letting go of the other things that I've been holding on to just a little bit too hard. Things fall away and that's fine with me. What of Roleplay Rescue? I'm not sure. I have an entire plan for a ninth season that would re-engage with the core premise of the show and bring together all the ideas I've explored over the past two and a half years. On the other hand, I need a break. I do intend to keep recording the Dungeon Master's Diary episodes for patrons and releasing them through patreon.com slash rpgrescue, and I hope to be producing new gaming material that I can share on the blog too. For now, however... Saturday episodes are coming to a close while I take some time to embrace middle age and take stock. Thank you, everyone, for supporting the show over the past couple of years. I really have enjoyed your company and I'm especially grateful to everyone who's taken the time to call in through Anchor or send me an audio file that I could share on the show. Thanks also go to listeners who have emailed, sending messages of support, and to everyone who has engaged with me on social media. By the way, that too is something I intend to dial back, social media. But I will be hanging around on the RPR Discord a little bit more, as well as posting to MeWe, where I feel much more at home. My greatest thanks has to go to all of the patrons who supported the show through Patreon.com. Guys, I don't know if you'll stick with me, I really hope you will, and I really hope we'll find our way back to more episodes of the show. But right now... My simple message is thank you. Is this the end? I doubt it. But it is the end for now. Adieu and farewell. Game on. <laughs>